Welcome to the Idea Fit Pro Show with your host, Sandy Todd Webster. Greetings to our Fit Pro family and welcome to this new episode of the Idea Fit Pro Show. I'm Sandy Webster, Ideas Editor in Chief, and your host for the podcast. Today, I'm looking forward to speaking with biomechanist Katie Bowman, a best selling author, speaker, and a leader of the movement movement who is changing the way we move and think about our need for movement. Her nine books have been translated into more than a dozen languages worldwide. Katie, who has written for Ideas Fitness Journal and educated fit pros at Idea events for over a decade, teaches movement and speaks about sedentarism and movement ecology to academic and scientific audiences all over the globe. Her work has been regularly featured in diverse media such as The Today Show, CBC Radio One, The Seattle Times, The Joe Rogan Experience, and Good Housekeeping. Today, we'll focus on the tenets of her newest book, Grow Wild, The Whole Child, Whole Family, Nature-Rich Guide to Moving More. The book has some rich lessons, not just for moms, dads, and kids, but for fitness pros who are open to new and simple ways to add more movement to their clients' lives outside the gym. Stay with us to get a healthy dose of her original thinking. Welcome, Katie Bowman, and thank you for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Thank you for having me, Sandy. Well, it's wonderful to see you. Um, I was absolutely delighted to see that you had published yet another book and even more excited at the prospect of picking your brain about it in this conversational format. Um, So just backtracking a little bit, if memory serves, you wrote a few articles for Fitness Journal about 10 plus years ago. Um, I think you did one on the psoas, you did another one on the feet, um, probably others that I I don't recall. But um, I was hoping we could start by catching up with your, your career journey since we have last been in touch and to hear about the evolution of your company, Nutritious Movement, and also um, how your interests as a biomechanist have pulled you along the path you're on. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's, it's so many things. So I would say that most uh, idea fitness journal readers might recognize my name from those articles, plus a couple of others that were really, I would say about the technicalities of movement, the anatomy uh, the, the the precision of form, why form is so important, why trainers are concentrating on it with their clients. Um, and then I wrote a piece, I mean, it's probably been, I would say, seven years now for you, fit for driving. And that was a shift, you know, so that was a shift away from um, maybe not talking so much about in, uh, anatomy, you know, or precise form and this concept of, of setting up programming for your clients that was um, task specific, right. not general fitness specific, but really um, trying to put your feet in the shoes of your client to say like, why are some of the reasons uh, people come to a trainer and, and what, why do people want to move? I mean, for us movement professionals, it's simply because maybe movement is our way of moving through the world and training and fitness are exciting. But for, you know, we can see that the bulk of the, the bulk of, let's just say North America 
isn't as enamored with exercise and fitness as our fitness professionals. So that poses an issue of where do I draw clients from? You know, how do we convince people to love exercise when they don't seem to love it innately like maybe I do or, or you do or some folks listening to? So it was this idea of many people are actually interested in exercise if it serves some other purpose of enriching some other non-exercise part of their life. So fit for driving was sort of as it sounds for um, goldener populations, you know, who, who um, would be motivated to do more mobility work and um, general walking work if they knew that there was a actual fitness test that was connected to their driver's license, which a lot of people, <laughs> which a lot of people don't know, you know, but, you know, but that's, if you're not, if you've never been in that stage of life, you might not be aware of it. So it was like, what would that program look like? And I actually expanded, I took that article and that was a seed for the book Dynamic Aging that I wrote oh my gosh. a couple of years after, because it was like, oh, right. There's a whole group of people, not, not exercise for seniors, which is, we've seen that again and again and again. And it just keeps looking sort of the same, maybe with a different cover, but instead it was, dynamic aging, like stay engaged with all the things that you like by thinking of how these movement practices at home support the non-exercise parts of your life. And so that's still biomechanics because it's um, looking at how movement works essentially, but it definitely started to call on another, um, you know, when you're a biomechanist, you're still under the umbrella of kinesiology. So this phenomenon of uh, exercise adherence is the topic that we learn about it, you know, in university, it's, there's a lot of going, there's a lot of research and interest in what I would say is the science of sedentarism, you know, so there's the science of movement, but then there's like, why are so many people not moving? How is this possible? What is that mindset? What are the other environmental factors? So I would say that that was sort of a shift of mine because, mm -hmm. um, because I felt like it was the whole picture of understanding the science of movement is the understanding the science of why people aren't moving, but, but not just that they're not motivated enough that really fitness might be not the right portal for different folks. And so um, expanding that idea of good form as really, we all need to use our bodies more. It doesn't have to always be for fitness. There's a form to how you sit and you're, desk and there's good form in how you carry your uh, newborn or young children. And there's a form to, um, you know, carrying a bag of groceries home on a walk. So I just sort of expanded to make movement more relevant to more people. Um, I still love the precise form, but I just found that it was too narrow of a niche for me. So now I've just expanded to show more people why a movement is relative, rel uh, relevant to them. And then for those who haven't been moving for a long time, how do you convert a body that hasn't done much movement and who now maybe feels like, okay, I, maybe I spent a decade or two not valuing movement, but I do now, but now something hurts. Now my back hurts or my knee hurts and my foot hurts. And I can't actually take a simple walk anymore. And I can't, engage in fitness classes that I would otherwise like to try. So then I could put my precision of exercise training to again, beyond fitness and more in rehabilitation and corrective exercise, but for the purpose of creating an on-ramp to those larger non-exercise, so some exercise, but non-exercise experiences that still depend on our physical fitness. 
So we're really reframing. Um, it, it sounds like you've been working on reframing exercise from a, a very traditional definition, which a lot of people shun and want no part of anyway. So this reframing may be appealing to more people or it, it bridges a, a gap in messaging that maybe hasn't existed in traditional fitness before. Yeah, it was expanding it because again, um, it was in move your DNA where I had a big circle and I was like, there's actually a lot of movements, but exercise is a very, has a particular definition. I mean, there's a, there is a difference between movement and exercise. We might use the terms movement and physical activity and exercise interchangeably, but they're different phenomenon. They're different mm-hmm. phenomenon in the literature. And when you use them interchangeably, you'll miss the nuance, the important, I think, nuance there to, um, that I think is important for fitness professionals in the sense of this is your field, like to know the difference is critical. But I think you also reach more people when you understand that exercise is really the narrowest range or definition of movement. And um, it requires uh, it requires things like, um, you know, there's now a real understanding of the difference between movement and um, exercise or, or physical activity and leisure time movement. And so like you have to have leisure and you have to have, like there's just a lot of elements that I think when they're better understood, the payoff is we can all help more people be able to move. So that's, that's why the reframe. Great explanation. Thank you for that. Um, that brings us somewhat up to date. And, um, I know there's been a lot more in between there and here, but, um, I wanted to dive into talking about your new book, Grow Wild. Thank you. It's so pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed wrapping my head around this book. Um, Mm -hmm. And first of all, compliments on having such a clear point of view and also, um, you know, my editorial sensibilities led me to love the straightforward organization of the book. Um, It's really a pleasure to read, and it sparked a lot of thought for me. Um, So if you would please share what inspired the work and what you wanted to accomplish with the message and how you set about getting there. Well, I appreciate hearing your feedback as an editor, because having had you as an editor, you know, there's there's a, a mindset to editors that are different than general readers. I think that the skill set of editing is phenomenal to, to hold in your mind, like how a person would make their way through a book is not something that an author necessarily holds. Um, you know, we just have an idea that we want to spit out. So um, I'm glad it worked for you (laughs) is the best way to say it. Um, so the book came about, I would say for both those reasons that we started talking about the first one is that, that corrective exercise foundation of mine that I've had and worked on for 25 years is like the, the feedback that I kept getting is if I had, if I had been shown how to use my body, if, if I, if, if using my body had been prioritized as a child, um, as a teenager, I don't think I would have found myself in this predicament of having to use my body and learn about my body for the first time at 40 or 50 or 60. So this is idea of yes. Cause I would say, um, you know, your, your first 12 years are really sh- setting the shape of your body for life. Uh-huh. We don't, we don't grasp that. I don't think, I think that you just sort of think like I have the genes for my body and it's going to pop out no matter what I do, but that's not really the case. The, the way that you use your body, especially during what's called your juvenile period 
really ends up affecting your capacity for movement. I mean, and bone is the easiest example that I can use. So your, your bone um, density is really, it can go no higher than it is by the time you um, are maybe like 18 to 20. Mm-hmm. Meaning that if you sort of took, um, if you had a sedentary childhood, then even if you develop the taste for movement later on, you you can't, even if you had a ton of weight-bearing exercise, you're never going to be able to exceed the capacity of your bone that was set when you were a kid. And so as we're negotiating right now, we'll, we'll probably talk more about the situation our culture's children are in right now. Like we don't necessarily think of it as having a consequence beyond the consequences that we can imagine, you know, you know, like the most immediate ones, but there you're, you're really messing with really your adult body right. as a child. So that they will call osteoporosis, um, a juvenile disease that doesn't manifest until you're older. And so there's many of these, um, and so it was written for that. It's like, okay, well, I've written, you know, a, a book to the general fitness or exercising audience, which was Move Your DNA, just trying to capture people right now, talking about diversifying and cross-training their program in a deeper way than maybe they had thought before. Then dynamic aging, I went to the other end of the age spectrum to be like, this group right here is really needs something that's maybe different. It's more broken down. It's more relevant to where their body is right now. And then I did the other end with Grow Wild. It's like, okay, now I'm going to write the book of what does a dynamic childhood actually look like? Because for many people, we don't, we don't even see how dynamic it was when I was a kid. I'm 45. So 40 years ago is a scenario that almost doesn't exist. Like the, my movement environment and the, and the amount of running around that I did. And, you know, I wasn't allowed in the house and there was no computers. And there were, we had three television channels that, you know, we could watch 30 to 60 minutes. Of, you know what I mean? It was just, it was just not the same environment or landscape than it mm-hmm. is right now. So it was for that to, to give the older group give give to the children of today what the older group now wishes in hindsight that they had but the other part is to show why to to make movement more relevant outside of exercise which i was talking about earlier as well um kids need a lot of movement but they don't necessarily need a lot of exercise they don't need a lot of structured programs and classes and things that have to be paid for and scheduled that's not a requirement it might be a solution for mm-hmm. some people in certain um, situations, but the abundance of movement can be found by, by modifying the environment. Um, and the environment I'm using in a loose term, cause I organize the book by environments to show environment is really like an, um, it's a, I, or I organize it by space, but really more by time. Like what are the spaces in that you are spending the most time in? If you looked at your schedule, um, and showed how to modify every single one of those to get more um, total movement of the body, but also um, to be able to move more parts of the body. Because I think that that's an, an, impor- uh, an important oversight that we often have, which is we want pedometers and activity trackers that measure whole person movement, how many steps per day, how many miles, how many minutes at a particular heart rate. That, those are whole person states. But everyone listening knows that that um, if you did leg extensions only, that wouldn't necessarily get you those fitness benefits in your arms 
or your calves, that we also need part by part movement. And so movement doesn't always have to be a whole person moving from point A to point B. A lot of human movement is really just when we are, I'm gonna say stationary, but I don't mean still. When we're, we're in a particular place, we could still be moving our bodies differently. Like not all, not all sitting still has to be done in a chair. Mm-hmm. That I can sit on the floor with my legs crossed and suddenly that's identical to a portion of a stretching class, but it's not in a stretching class context. It's just a different way to sit on the floor. So it's just introducing the concept of um, making over, making over your idea of movement and then making over your environments to facilitate more movement. And then bonus as I'm a parent, um, you getting more movement for yourself when you do this, that for the parent struggling to get more movement and then lamenting that your child is also still and not getting enough movement, that instead of two of you trying to find two separate classes or places to go, or the five of you or however many, that you start um, re reconnecting those things together so that everyone's getting what they need in the same period of time. You know, Katie, since these things are so integral to the bulk of the book, and since you've you've already gone there, um, let's let's dive into the concept of stacking your life, which is one of these organizational concepts um, and how that relates to the many containers um, we have in our lives that you describe in detail through each of the chapters. I mean, how do we how do we stack? How do we change our containers to promote more movement? Um, Walk us through what stacking containers are all about. So stack your life is just this concept of, for, for most of us, and I'll just speak for myself, I guess, when I, when I start every day, each day, I, I, I do think in terms of like categories of needs I need to, to meet. And not all of them are on my calendar. Like I don't have make breakfast on my calendar, but it's going to happen because eat is on my, on my list of essential needs. And it's the basics for all of us. Like we have to we have to eat, we have the work involved with, you know, our, I guess our livelihood. Um, and then we have the work involved with maintaining our home, our shelter. So some of it's paid, but some of it's also just, uh, I just think of it as have tos, like your chores, like you gotta do chores. Some are work chores, some are home chores. And you have relationships that need to be maintained. You have your personal physical well being that needs to be dealt with and, and, the, and you have to sleep, right? So these are what I just say, categories of need. But we tend to, I would say now in, in this moment in time, we've really, we try to meet each need separately. So I might need to go grocery shopping as an errand and I might need exercise and I will go to the grocery store and then I'll go to the gym, two separate things. And when you do that, you've got, um, you know, let's say 45 minutes on the groceries and 45 minutes on the gym. And then you had, a, if you're in Southern California, then you have an hour and 20 minute transition time. And if you're other places, maybe it's shorter, but there's these transition times where nothing is happening except you sitting in a car trying to get to the next thing. So stacking your life would be this idea of, well, what if I could walk to the grocery store? And now what you're going to find is that that same 45 minutes got you to the store and got your walk and now you get to carry something. So your exercise program is more than a walk, can also be a carry. And if you took one of your kids with you, now you could 
practice spelling words if you were worried, you know, concerned mm -hmm. about like education or you could just chat. You could call. I call my family. I have nine brothers and sisters. So like I maintain my family relations on foot, on the phone. So you or you could um, take a work call, you know, like that you start looking at what you're doing during a period of time and realizing because I'm approaching everything separately and because there's these different containers for everything that we do that are so far away from each other. There's, they're not really, um, I mean, they're, I mean, to tie it together, they're not aligned, so to speak on the same sphere of, of, um, I think of it as a, a roasting stick, like just one piercing <laughs> through all the things that I want to be able to do. So that's the concept. The concept is that you look at the tasks you're doing, Jim, driving to the grocery store, and then you've got the drive in between three different tasks where you could pick a different task, walk to the store, one task, multiple needs. And then now you didn't have um, 45 minutes in a car where nothing of your essentials were happening. Yes, transportation to your essentials were, but there's just a lot of time. And if you're trying to reduce sitting time and more steps for many people, more steps aren't feasible because they don't, they haven't correlated or connected the dots between I could take more steps to do the things that I need because mm -hmm. right now the perimeter around where exercise happens is so tightly bound to some place that's not in the rest of your life. This is, I think, a big um, barrier to movement or exercise adherence. You know, whether your doctor tells you you should move more, whether you yourself have decided that you would like to move more, the barrier is where does it fit? if like, there's probably not a ton of non essential time. I mean, I guess if you counted YouTube videos, you'd probably find a, a lot of minutes <laughs> loaded up there where something else could be happening. But, but I think for many people, they'd like to fit it in, but they can't see how to meet their other needs at the same time. And then it feels selfish right. to go take for you. And so I'm like, okay, well, what's a way that we can reframe it that it's not selfish. And, and you could also get other things done where now you can walk twice as long because you didn't have to go do other stuff. So you're going to get even more steps than before. And there are really some great simple visuals in the book that that show how you can stack these things together, just some suggestions. And, you know, I've already been doing it. So um, That's great. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think I as a person who loves movement and sees opportunity to get my daily movement in no matter how I have to do it. Um, maybe I was doing some of these things anyway, just because of the exposure I have in the industry. Mm -hmm. But um, no, I've, I've been a bit more mindful now that I've actually seen it visually, like this is how it can work. And so um, I, I think, again, great examples in the book. Um, so the book is focused on movement for children and families, um, but I think your message for how to integrate more movement res resonated in my mind for fitness professionals and for their clients as well. These are principles that most people can and should be using to increase their daily movement. How do you see fit pros using this philosophy? Well, I, I think that one, it really, I've never, I've never dug as deeply into uh, the science of movement and the concept that I talk a lot about, which is mechanical nutrients. Mm -hmm. Then in th like this book goes deeper into it. And I think that anyone reading it, especially a fitness professional will be like, right, we have a movement diet. We do have a movement diet. I have a movement diet. It's not, and we've all been children. So I think part of it is the concept of where did your adult body come from? How would you have rated or um, assessed your 
childhood movement diet so that you understand yourself a little bit more and, and just replace the words of this. I mean, the suggestions that I'm making for how the tasks that you would use to stack your life are, yes, there tend to be children and family and also uh, people who work with children or create environments for children specific. But none of, the, none of these things are only for children. A mm -hmm. dynamic celebrate, so dynamic celebrations, celebrations is a container. We spend a lot of time in celebration or we should. Um, and, and, but with these tend to be like really sedentary. They've gotten really sedentary. So the idea of, um, having friends over for a walking, uh, picnic, you know, like that's something that does not require children, but they do bring back some of the, I would say some of the joy and curiosity that comes with being a child is being outside, being in nature, being with your being in being in an unstructured way with your friends versus, you know, everything having um, a very formal way of behaving. Um, and then the other thing would be, chances are the people that you're working with are struggling to get more of the moves or the. Um, um, the, whatever exercise prescription you have given them, we don't always give, I mean, as a movement professional, we don't always give how they're to integrate it. We're just saying like, here's the moves I want you to do. You know, you could just do them at night or around, you know, your other family schedule, but something as simple as you no, know, get your kids down there. Like just roll out your mat and do it in the living room and let your kids see you doing that. And that's going to inform them that the house is permissive for moving around and maybe move out that big bulky item that keeps you from using your wall for, for different poses or legs up the wall, because people will say, I can't, I can't move because my house, um, my house is, doesn't have space. And it, that's an environment in the book. Yes. Why, why can we not move in our houses? Why do we have so many things in our house that there's no floor space or wall space for stretching or rolling around? Because how could you possibly ever, get the amount of movement that you have signed up for yourself if your house is the thing that's preventing it. So it's just, mm. it's a good tool, I would say, for, you know, a trainer or a fit pro to be like, oh, right, I'm going to tell them that that they can get, like maybe a trainer said, I want you to get a thousand more steps a day or, or um, um, some upper body exercise. So now they see all the ways that we've recommended brachiation for families or children. Like we need hanging spaces in our home, but we might not be recommending to our client that they put a chin-up bar, a $15 chin-up bar in their window. We might be saying, you gotta, you gotta take 30 minutes or an hour and a half if you live in Southern California <laughs> to drive across, you know, to this place to come in and use this and hang on my bar. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I, I think that it just opens your eyes to how sedentary we've become as a culture because even fitness pros, relatively speaking, are barely moving at all. And that's my that's my bigger message is it's really hard to see outside of your own culture and exercising every single day for 60 or 90 minutes is amazing that we've got people still, you know, chugging up that hill but there's a lot of other movements that are being missed and a lot of other opportunity that you could be helping someone through mm -hmm. um, as a, you know, a, in a client relationship. I mean, first yourself, you can do it for yourself. And then second for your families and then for your clients just to open their eyes too. It's like, there's, there's probably way more places for you to get this stretch in at the end of the day. So if you can't get to the 630 class, don't fret 
you're just gonna, you have your mat that lives on your living room floor and just tape this three exercises. And I just want you to run through them at the end of the night while you're, you know, watching something on Netflix or whatever, like it, it like that there's, there's way, there's more ways to do it than maybe we might be thinking of. Right. So, um, for, for fit pros, certainly, you know, start, start with yourself and maybe even come up with a, a bunch of physical cards, you know, just like write out opportunities for, um, for movement or the things that, you know, the have tos of your day and start stacking those, try to put them together in ways that make sense for your time and for your life. And then, you know, as a, as a coach, once you've figured it out for yourself, move on to your clients and have these conversations with them um, and maybe do the same exercise with them to help them start seeing these opportunities Mm -hmm. to move a a bit more during their days or a lot more. Yeah. I think, I think that when you read Grow Wild, what you walk away with is fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. You're going to see that I didn't realize that by choosing these pants today or this jacket or this outfit that I thought was that is amazing. Um, I can't get my arms overhead. I didn't I didn't even think about that. That's maybe why I don't take a midday stretching break at the office because my arms don't go over my head. So this is your clothing as a container. This is the, so that's another container, right? The clothing is another container. Yeah. So I was just, I tried to, I, I think I have them all. Like I really was thinking about like, what are the main ways that people are encasing themselves? And then I organize it hopefully by time. You're going to spend, you know, your clothing container, your clothing container is pretty up there because we're in clothes most of the time. <laughs> then you get into something, you know, like celebrations or activities a little bit smaller. Um, yeah. Yeah, really just fun, fresh concepts. Okay, we're going to take a quick break from this great conversation to tell you about our other podcast. Did you know that IDEA also hosts the Listen and Learn CEC podcast? Listen and Learn is the fitness industry's first and only audible CEC program. Each episode contains information from our award-winning Idea Fitness Journal that has been approved for one CEC by more than 25 certification agencies. Tune in while you're out for a run, getting your workout in, or even while you're doing the dishes. Idea's editors read fitness journal articles directly to you so you can get some movement in while you learn. Subscribe to both Idea Fit Pro Show and Idea Listen and Learn CEC Podcast in the Apple Podcast Store or via your favorite podcast app. Check the show notes for these details and for other resources mentioned in today's episode. Now let's get back to our interesting conversation. Um, You mentioned uh, movement diet earlier, you alluded to that, and I wanted to dive into a sidebar that you wrote on movement nutrients and movement hunger that really just kind of blew me away. It really resonated because I love nutrition science and the parallel you drew between nutrients and food and nutrients and movement was just so straightforward. Um, if, if not a little obvious yet, I'd never seen it outlined, um, Mm -hmm. quite that way. So if you would please just walk us through that, that premise, I would love to share that with everyone. A nutrient is a, is a chemical compound that in its absence, there are predictable symptoms. So anything that we have, um, deemed to be a nutrient, vitamin A, vitamin D, um, what the reason that they have that distinction is because there was a lot of work that went into 
recognizing that in the absence of what we now call, let's say vitamin D or let's say vitamin C, there was predictable symptoms that occurred that when you reintroduced vitamin C, those symptoms would dissipate. So that's how they, it was like reverse, reverse engineering. What is it that humans actually need? And the, and the way that those early experiments were done is because humans live in sort of different groups sometimes. So like they were done, you know, I think everyone who was in you know, elementary school probably understands like that sailors were a group, a pod of people that ate a particular diet. And so it made them easy to have this natural experiment going on. Prisoners was another one where they were adequately fed calorically, but they didn't, but like there wasn't the knowledge at that time to know that not only do we need to just eat full stop calories as a nutrient, but there were things inside the food that we ate that we also needed. And so anyone now nutrition is so we're so comfortable with nutrition. I mean, my children who are eight and 10 are comfortable with nutrition because it's just put into the education, the school education to recognize you need these compounds. It works with movement in the same way. With movement, there's no chemical compound that's inserting your mouth or being inserted into your mouth or like sunlight being inserted in through your skin. Like when, you, when you're eating or when you're in the sun, what's happening is, those exposures are creating chemistry in your body. With movement, it's, it's, actually, it's actually quite similar with the exception of you're not ingesting or exposing, you are squishing your cells. So like when you move your arms or your legs or even just standing the weight on your bones, you are squishing your cells, you're pulling your cells, you're twisting your cells. So these cellular distortions, um, if you think of every cell having a cytoskeleton inside of it, like our whole body has a skeleton. Mm -hmm. When you deform that skeleton, sorry, when you deform that cell, the cell responds with a particular biochemistry that's based on that. I call it a squish. Like when you, every movement, whether you're picking up weights or taking a step or lying on the floor, each one of those is moving your cells differently. And every one of those movements has a particular biochemistry that's created. So in that same way, movement is not ingesting chemical compounds, but movement creates the chemistry in the same way that food does. So so I, in my lifetime, I would hope to actually be able to get my work all the way to the point where movement is actually categorized as a nutrient. Hmm. Um, but, but similar to food, we've refined food enough to know that, again, it's not the total calories, right? So there's, there's macronutrients. And if, if you ever go back and read 500 years of nutritional science, it took them quite a long time to realize that there was... Uh, protein, fat, and carbohydrates, and that the relationship between those things made a difference. Mm -hmm. So it was like, oh, we just need to eat. I'm not starving. I don't have hunger signals. It's like, no, but your skin might be peeling off. So that's a mal like that's a different sign. Like, so it's it's not hunger. It's my skin. So to tie together what's happening with your skin to what you're putting in your mouth wasn't. Um, common knowledge at that time. It was, you know, it was like sort of an absurd idea. So in the same way, we have movement calories. How many minutes a day did you move today? How many steps? How many miles? 
But I would say trainers, again, know this concept of cross training. They're like, well, you really, you do need, what are our macronutrients? We have flexibility or stretching, strength training and cardio. So we've already sort of broken down to our best ability at this point, these three categories. We well, got to make sure you're getting a little bit of all three. Mm-hmm. So exercise science is very new. So that we're, I, I would suspect that that's going to sort of fall away eventually that we'll be transitioning into a different um, categorization system. But then to further deepen the micronutrients, if you are, um, let's say bicep curls are always the easiest example, that the position of your arms matters. Why? Because the alignment of your lower arm is going to be moving different cells depending on the position. So physical therapists, or if you go to, if you have an injury, you'll go to a physical therapist and say, oh, well, when you're walking, your foot's out to this side, or when you are um, pulling down on this bar, your elbow is poking out to the side and not down to the side. And what they're doing is they're trying to elicit a different cellular squish because, because our cells, our, the, our body's response to that biochemistry is how it dictates the mass, you know, our masses, like how it, where it puts bone down, where it puts muscle down, how much of those things it puts down is all relating to the angles with which we use our body. So we really already have a calorie equivalent total movement. We've got macronutrients and we've got micronutrients in the sense of um, all your parts really need to move. Every place you have a joint needs to move in order to nourish that area. And even doing something with your whole person might not be nutritious enough for the parts of you that aren't moving. And so this is that overlap of why alignment is so important. Not to say that there's a perfect form for everything, but it's really how you become aware of where in your body you are still sedentary. So in one paper that I wrote about it, I think that a lot of us are struggling with cellular sedentarism. We have, we're whole body active, but we have spots of cellular sedentarism and that these spots in even otherwise fit and healthy bodies will be the parts of our bodies that have a problem. So it's really sort of akin to the nutrition example of maybe your skin flaking off because you're not getting a nutrient, whereas you might have a a deficiency in your physiology because you're not moving in a certain way for that body part. Yeah, I think that how you how you tie them together is I'm trying to think of a I'm trying to think of like a really good example, like skin flaking off and nutrition seem really in different worlds. Musculoskeletal pain and movement seem a little closer together. But let's if we talk about grow wild, um, the idea of babies crying because they're under moved. Mm-hmm. So like a crying baby, the fact that it needs physical stimulation it needs to be picked up. It needs to allow its body to change position. I don't think that, that we always think that we, we, we don't even know what movement hunger looks like. We, we haven't framed, we haven't framed um, a set of symptoms to go with um, a set of movement needs yet because our uh, use of, or our study of movement is so new. So if you had osteoporosis, let's say you have osteoporosis of the hip, we might think of exercise as the solution, you know, like a weight-bearing exercise for our hips as a solution, but we wouldn't see the fact that we weren't getting the load to our hip as the problem. 
of why the osteoporosis arises in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, so really you could think of in many cases, I mean, there's nutritional things, nutritional concerns as well, and they go hand in hand, but this idea that many symptoms in our body are arising that are a result of us not, not only not moving our whole person, but not moving specific parts of us in a specific way, I think is really a novel idea mm -hmm. for many people. Yeah. So again, reminding you guys to go back and visit that sidebar because we've just had a, a 10 minute discourse on how really it's deceptively simple, but it, it, once you dive down that rabbit hole, there's so much to pick apart and think about there. So thanks for, um, for illuminating us, Katie, on that. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here um, to pandemic and all of the ramifications of that. I think if ever there was a time that parents needed this guidance in grow, you know, that you're giving in Grow Wild for resetting movement rules, rules being, you know, you've alluded to how our houses are set up, um, having more wall space, letting kids run and jump and be loud in the house, which, you know, we often discourage children from doing, um, and just rethinking the containers that we're living in, um, be, be they clothing, food, celebration, all of the containers that you describe in the book, um, rethinking these containers and rules so kids can thrive. It really, it, pandemic hastened a lot of this, I think. How do you think this pause in the world impacted our sedentarism in oh. general? And <laughs> yeah. um, will we come out of this more in tune with nature and movement or more sedentary? And I want to emphasize the movement. I mean, the, the nature part of it, too, because a big part of what you talk about in the book is getting back to nature. Well, so we add in nature. I mean, nature is so important. Again, that, that concept of stacking, which is humans... I mean, we forget that humans are animals. We forget that humans have like really basic natural needs. And in, in re they've spent more time and money researching children, but it turns out like kids really need nature. Like they need outside time. They need the exposure to those elements. But as a biomechanist, I like to drill it down. It's like, well, what, is, what do they need in nature? Like what, what is it out there that you're actually getting? And you're really getting we could keep it simple for right now and just say, you're getting more movement, more parts of your body are moving. So if you just think of this example of if you're walking on, if you, if you walk on a treadmill, totally flat, or if you walk in your neighborhood, the ground has all been covered with something that is, un, it's an unnatural surface. I mean, flat and like laser leveled and all these things. That makes walking really comfortable. But why is it more comfortable? Because you have to move less doing it. It doesn't like if you looked at the bones, the 33 um, joints that are in your ankle and foot, and then you got another foot. So that's 66 bones and 26 bones in each foot, 33 joints in each foot and ankle. They deform to the lumps and bumps of the ground. So what happens when you only walk on flat and level? You don't toggle all those joints. And so this would be another place of having, I could be otherwise active. I could run 20 miles a day, but if I'm always doing it on the same flat and level surface, then, and in a shoe that's maybe so stiff that nothing even penetrates up to my foot, 
those joints in my foot really were not moved or nourished by that run, even though my knees or my hips or my heart and my lungs were. So nature is just full of lumps and bumps. It's full of <laughs> contour. It's full of balance challenges. It's full of temperature extremes that um, move the smaller muscles of each hair follicle and cause you to sweat just by being there, cause you to have to work to uh, thermal regulate, right? These are also movements. They're much smaller. They're not, they're not joint, joint movements that we're used to thinking about, but it is a necessary movement. And so when you're inside, you stop moving. Even if you could, even if you could walk on a treadmill or ride a bike in place, you could still get your fitness, but the amount of you that's moving gets really small. Me right now, looking at this computer screen, I've got rings of muscles in my eye that I was like a bicep, like they, they work over a range of motion. And when I look at a screen, they're in a full up bicep position. Hmm. And when I look at the walls 20 feet away from my house, it maybe goes down to here. The only way I can draw my arm all the way down, my metaphorical arm would be to go look at something a mile away. Mm-hmm. So I end up doing these narrow repetitions with my body. It's like my house is like one repetitive use injury making place. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that that's why we need nature. I mean, that's like the simplest exercise need. Um, but then there's also lots of knowledge to be found out there and enjoyment and uh, other things. I mean, vitamin D, like, like there's, there's a lot of stuff out there that we need. So getting outside is definitely high on my list. It also makes a great container for kids that are designed to come. They, they, they come with the capacity to jump and lunch and run and scream and fall and, and build their bodies to be successful in the natural world. And when we, when we take that away, you get what you would expect, which is just a body that can only be really working on the inside. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think any of us want that. Like we would all probably like to have a little bit more physical capacity and ability to um, move beyond wherever our personal ability sets us. So that's to the nature part. We were already pretty sedentary. We were already unprecedentedly sedentary mm-hmm. as a group of people, but also as children. So, um, we, you know, like there, sedentarism has been sort of setting in on humans for a long time. It's been a long, steady march from agriculture to industrial revolution to computer. But, but we are witnessing the first ever generation that had, I mean, I don't even know if we would call a smartphone a computer because it's not that it's a computer. It's, it's like a portal, the, like you would say internet, you would say access to all the entertainment needs that you have can now be met with a with a tap and a swipe like this some of the smallest movements possible can bring the world or an experience of a, a version of the world right to me mm-hmm. and 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 ch- and children are now getting this at infant level like infants are starting with this so so we will see the first generation coming up just now of what that was what, what that's going to do, I would say, to our body. So we were already there. And then with the pandemic, a lot of the world, I mean, most of the world went into in, in place. Like, so the idea of even when kids were, I would say, more sedentary than ever, 
there's still steps per day that are required to get you to your car, to get you to your class. Even if your school doesn't have PE or if you just do 30 minutes, three times a week, or even if you did an hour a day, the fact that we were up and moving between locations and, and different things like that, that all went away. Not only did the PE go away or the gym workouts for individuals, the, the steps necessary to get to your car, to drive to your office, to go there and move back out. I mean, those could be hundreds a day. Those are gone. So that took us down. And then, and then also not only the stillness, but the stillness of the eyes, like the fact that everything, like we're on a zoom call. I can't tell you how many zoom calls I've been on in the last year. Things that I used to move around for are now all done with my eyes again in my tight bicep position. So I have to add eye exercises to every day because there's side effects, you know, that come with that, that type of repetitive movement for my eyes. So we were already unprecedented and now we're just exponentially unprecedented. And do I think we're going to come out of it? I'm not sure. I mean, I advocate, I advocate and do all my work to um, come out of, you know, to help people reemerge. Um, I think that, I think that Grow Wild, like I had started Grow Wild a long time ago, but I finished it post haste. Once I like, once I realized what was happening, I was like, okay, I, I thought I would have some leisure time with this book, but this book needs to come out now mm-hmm. because I, because I would find that parents are like, well, my, you know, my child just wants to um, you know, play video games or be on a screen and I've got to work and we don't have any, like there's no movement stuff in the house because houses weren't where you moved. In fact, you were supposed to leave the house, like no moving in the house, go outside, you know, get your yayas out other places, but not in the house. But we didn't necessarily make that conversion when we brought everything in to be like, this house now has to be a gym, a restaurant, a school, my office. We just tried to keep it a home. Right. Um, so there was some transitions. I, I immediately wrote five or six articles just trying to walk people through. I'm like, here's what you can do right now mm-hmm. so that you get more movement and your kids get more movement trying to help. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, we have a, it's hard. You know, the inertia is hard. We've moved so many systems onto online and to the video equivalent that it'll be interesting to see if we are able to, to do the work to overcome the inertia of the fact that, well, this is the new system. Like, this is how we do it. We just or, stay. Or at least to make it a hybrid of, of sorts. Yeah, right. Like, so, yeah. Um, I know that there was some research that showed that children really, their movement really went down quite a bit. But on the opposite side of that, instead, because there were no structured activities, people started using their neighborhoods again. Sort of that neighborhood, you know, we used to go outside and, run around and and like ride bikes everywhere and just play, you know, pickup soccer in the street. But with all the cars and everyone going everywhere, our streets have become like less and less able for kids to get their movement where they live, which is why we have to do those commutes to drive to the movement places. So there was a resurgence of people moving around their own home, but I'm not sure if that will last. It, It was fewer people doing it, but there was a change in the type of movement, I would say around, uh, maybe even still, because things are are still, you know, they're still in flux. So yeah, so yeah, so I'm, I hope so. I hope so. Kind of to be continued, and um, maybe there's a, a book in that too. <laughs> <laughs> right, the the, the memoir. <laughs> 
So, Katie, as we wind down our conversation, um, first, if you would please tell listeners how they can get in touch with you and find your book. I'll be putting all of that stuff in the show notes, everyone. So um, know that you can find it there. But Katie, if you would tell us that first, and then also, um, if you could leave us with a couple of parting thoughts, um, one you know, what, what do you want fit pros to draw from your work and how can they support and promote these ideas within their communities? And then secondly, what do success markers in your campaign to get people moving more look like over the next five years or even 10 years? What, what do you want that conversation to be? Let's say five years from now, when you and I sit down to talk again. Well, hopefully we'll talk before then, but <laughs> right. Um, so you can, you can find me at nutritiousmovement.com and then nutritious movement on social. Um, those are the easiest places. Um, I think fit pros, the takeaway from my body of work is that alignment and form matter tremendously and, and might be the ticket for you to help more people get moving. You know, like if, if we look at like, maybe this person isn't uh, doing this move because it doesn't feel right for their body. So how can I adjust that? And then the second one would be to um, when I, when I did a lot of personal training or working with individuals, like I would always start with not that standard fitness test of like, where are you right now physically to be like, I need three reasons why you want to move. Like, mm -hmm like that are not movement specific, not teaching to the test because we do get trapped in that. Um, you know, I, I'm the same body fat that I was, even though I've been working so hard, like we miss that fact that we feel better and that um, we're performing better, that we're getting fitter because we've picked something like I want to um, lift this weight, or I would like to be able to run this fast. And, and when those don't come out fast enough, it can be discouraging. And then you lose that intrinsic motivation. That's so important. So always keep the goals or, or maybe don't keep the goals outside of fitness, but make sure you also have non-fitness goals so that mm -hmm. someone could see that the actual reason that they're doing it, I would like to take this hike with my, with my kids. I want to do a backpacking trip. Um, I would love to be able to sit on the floor comfortably, like whatever it is that you've got some non-fitness thing on there that keeps it really grounded in the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then five years from now, I'm hoping that, that, that there are more, that there are more places in the scientific literature that are picking up on the nuance between exercise and physical activity and movement and are also starting to look at it as less of a whole person phenomenon that we are that we would be able to to recognize you know basically what we were saying about movement nutrition that that there would be enough people who would be like oh yes um, you know, you're not getting enough movement, but of this particular type, because we keep telling people to move more. I mean, that is, it's such an old message and people are moving less. So, <laughs> so a good business person would say it's time to rebrand. So something's because, not working. Because, yeah. Something's not, that message isn't working. It's not resonating. It's not cutting through whatever resistance or noise we have maybe, and also to be open to maybe it's not the right message. Yes. People need to move 
their bodies more, but but we might have our eye, we might be incorrectly interpreting the the purposes, the reasons humans move in the first place, the motivating mm -hmm. factors. And so to stay open and curious about that. Um, and that, yeah, and that there's that there's more papers out there where you can read and see like, oh, I see when we change the model of physical activity to really specific, like getting more people to do active transportation, right? Which would be you using your body to get somewhere versus we just, we spend a lot of activity that takes us nowhere and does nothing for us, but the exercise sitting on bikes that go nowhere on device, carrying heavy things that are just heavy things. They're not functional things. Mm -hmm. When we do that, we remove, we start to strip away the context for why people are moving in the first place. And Training grounds are great, but if we can, as movement practitioners, keep grounding it back into it and how this applies to your life is, right. and what I would like you to do is carry something a distance at home that you need to, and then you start bridging the gap, start bridging the gap between why am I doing this just for my health or because someone said so, and how does this make my life better in the experiential way? Awesome, Katie, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate the time you've spent with us today. Uh, congratulations on yet another book, another success, and um, hope to see you back here again sometime soon. Thank you, Sandy. Take care. If you're looking for more idea content or want to learn more about membership or events, visit our website at ideafit.com. We also host the Listen and Learn CEC podcast, the fitness industry's first and only audible CEC program. Each episode contains information from our award-winning fitness journal that has been approved for one CEC by more than 25 certification agencies. You can subscribe to both the Idea Fit Pro Show and Idea Listen and Learn CEC podcast in the Apple Podcast Store and on other podcast platforms. Check the show notes for these details and for other resources mentioned in today's episode. This is Sandy Webster signing off. Until next time, stay positive and keep inspiring the world with your special magic. Don't ever forget that you make a huge difference in the lives of others and that idea is here to support you in this critical purpose. Thanks for all you do to make the world a healthier, happier place.